To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? I uh, got a brand new podcast for you. So this week on Eastman's Elevated, we have on Jason Matzinger. Um, what a treat. Uh, this podcast is a great one. We have Dan Picard sit in. It's just three like-minded hunters, and we just get talking hunting and, and theories, and uh, the conversation kind of evolves as we go. And Jason, he, he's just a, a super knowledgeable hunter. Um, you, you know, he puts out such great videos. His videography, his narration is just next level. He's a great storyteller. But this is all based upon his hunting skill. Like, Jason has been a, a great hunter for a long time. And I met him, like, maybe 15 years ago, like, on a job site when he was an electrician. And I knew of him because he was putting out Zing videos and he was selling them, you know, at the bow shop, I think is where I bought one. So he was coming up with these videos years and years ago and selling those. And I met him and got talking with him. But but he's just he has such a high skill level, like he just knows how to hunt and knows how to hunt trophy critters. And I think at this podcast, we did a, a good job of, of diving deep down the rabbit hole of tactics and, and thought process and theories. And it, it's just a super one. I really enjoyed it. And I know you guys are going to enjoy it, too. Uh, and thanks to Jason for being on. Uh, sponsor for this week's show is Onyx. Uh, Onyx has just changed the way I hunt. You guys have heard me talk about it before, but... Uh, I, I think it's one of the the best innovations to the to the hunting community, you know, in the last ten years. It's it, it's just been absolutely amazing. Like to be able to navigate private and public, to be able to have all the topography maps and aerial imagery, and to be able to have that at your fingertips, and and you can still use the GPS even if you don't have cell phone coverage. It it'll still pick up your location and and you can still navigate you just have to save your maps before you go and they have different levels of how you can save your maps and which quality so you know a less quality you can save a bigger area like 500 square miles and so I'll usually do that the entire area and then I'll go into these specific places and I'll save those maps but um, it, it's just such a great app they're constantly evolving it too it, it's getting new overlays with you know, uh, uh, roadless areas, the, the Eastman's Trophy Lair app. The, it, they have like over a couple hundred layers, I think, that you can put on trails and roads. Uh, but I just use this all the time for navigating when I'm driving, for navigating when I'm hunting. Uh, it's just a go-to for me. So uh, if you don't have OnX, um, it is well worth the investment. So make sure to check them out. You can get a year's subscription and and it's good for all 50 states and so then you have maps and all the overlays and everything you need of all 50 states for the year and it it's just a it's an absolute deal for what you get so thanks to onyx for sponsoring the podcast and um over there at eastman so it's sunday today and then i'm gonna head out to the sportsman's expo i'm super excited i went to the ata was my first show this will be my second one so really fun to get together with those guys and and um meet up and then and then also just meet some hunters you know some some listeners of the podcast and and um 
some guys that have been following me that I haven't had a chance to to talk to per, in, to in person. So that'll be fun. Um, seeing some different sponsors down there and people that are supporting the podcast that way. Um, be nice to meet those people face to face. So yeah, I'm just really excited. Chose to drove down. Hopefully I don't get too gnarly of roads. You never know in the winter time. Um, but I'll make it one way or another. And um, also at that Sportsman's Expo, you guys, we're doing... So um, Dan Bacar and Guy Eastman have put together this seminar that they're going to give. And they're going to give the seminar both Friday and Saturday. And we're doing a bunch of promotion for it. Like we're going to do a YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Instagram Live. So I'm going to run the YouTube Live. You guys will be able to watch the seminar and then ask any questions you have for Dan or Guy, and uh, I'll be able to get them answered for you. So um, should be a fun deal. I know those guys have, have put together an, an, an awesome seminar. Um, Guy is so knowledgeable. I refer to him as the Oracle. He just has so much hunting knowledge. He's been in this industry for so long and connected for so long and also you know, hunting for so long and paying attention and taking his hunting to the next level. So I just, I love talking to Guy about hunting, um, just so knowledgeable. And and Dan Picard, he's my bow hunting brother. Like um, Dan just absolutely loves to bow hunt and he's really good at it. And uh, he's made his own way. He's just uh, figured out how to be consistently successful. And um, he's just a super knowledgeable guy as it comes to public land bow hunting in different states, different species, different challenges. He's willing to take it on and go do it. So um, I know Dan's put together a great seminar too. So make sure to check it out. If you're at the Sportsman's Expo, uh, come by and see us and say hi. Uh, if you're uh, not at the expo and you get a chance, sit down and watch this, um, you know, over the YouTube live that I'll be hosting there and, and I'll get your, your questions answered. So um, that's that. Going to get down there and meet those guys. Other than that, um, you know me, just shooting my bow and, and running and working out like a madman. Uh, just getting ready. I've got that, that trip in April coming up um, to New Zealand that I'm just super psyched about. But, yeah, I've been um, really working with these bows. Man, I got these things just shooting darts, both my bow and backup bow. Um, God dang it. Shooting really good. Uh, uh, built some new arrows, messed around with some things. I'll get into that on a different podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's all good on my side. Uh, Sunday now, going to go out and get my run and um, do that as soon as I lose this thing. So, uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a, a good week and, and hope to catch you at the Expo this weekend. Okay, I'm here at the ATA. Um, I've got Dan Picard sitting with me again, and then we're lucky enough to get Jason Matzinger for a little bit. So, Jason, thanks again for being on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, thanks for having me. These yeah. are a good time. It, it's been a fun show, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Winding down here, we got, what, one afternoon left, and this place will be a ghost town, but it has been a good three, four days here. So many good people, and it, it's just nice. Well, I was talking to you before we started, just to, to put a face with the name and, and the sponsors that stand behind the podcast, to be able to run into them and give them feedback and tell them how much I appreciate them. It's just been great for me. Yeah, no, it is good. You know, there's nothing that beats that face-to-face, -face, being able to have a conversation with the people that you work with. It goes a long ways, and, and this show, you know, allows you to do that. It's busy, but it's still pretty intimate. You, mm -hmm. you know, you can talk to the people you want to talk to and typically get something accomplished, yeah. Well, and it allowed us, allows us to put out this creative content that we all love to do, and, and these guys are the reasons why. So it's, exactly. it, it's really nice to run into them and say hi and, and, and then be able to sit down and just have these 
authentic conversations. You know, I was just having a conversation about steelheading and cross-country skiing, and a lot of the conversations aren't even hunting-based, but it, it's just nice to, ha- to have those with those guys. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, man, you had a heck of a season. That was a great bowl you put down. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it's funny because I've, the show is going into its 10th year now, and I think people think when you do this that that's all I do is hunt, you know. That's all I do is hunt for a living. But for the first time since I started doing this in 10 years, I felt like I got the chance to hunt like I used to before I started doing this. And what I mean by that is, like, I actually had the time to scout and be out there and not just have to roll in hot, try to make something happen and get to the next hunt. Like, this year I put a lot of time in scouting, which just continued to pay dividends. You know, I scouted so I was able to kill my antelope like the first day out, which allowed me to focus on elk, which allowed me to get my elk sooner, which allowed me to put more time in for deer. You know, and it just was this snowball effect that all started, in my opinion, from the scouting efforts, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, it was fun to get back to doing what I did before I started doing this for a living, mm-hmm. you know, to hunt that way, to hunt that hard, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it was awesome. And it's all about the time, isn't it? And time spent out and also with a clear head and not to have deadlines or exactly. pressure on you, but just be able to relax and enjoy the experience, you know, yep. to be there for all of it. I, I think that's so important. So, so you're scouting, um, uh, when you're scouting, so you were scouting a lot for elk, I'd imagine. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, um, how do you do your early season scouting as they're usually in a different place pre-rut than they are during the rut? Well, I changed everything up this year because I actually put my focus in trying to find a bull that I had never seen before, but I have two sets of sheds off of him. Wow. And so I, d- I don't, I still, I've never seen him. I went all this year, never could find him, but my tactic was, and, and this was interesting, too, because I feel like I've always, like, put in my time out there, like, waiting for it to get good. And this year, I'm like, I can't wait for it to get good. I have to kill that bull where he lives. I can't wait, you know, for him to get to the cows. And so I totally changed my way of thinking of, like, you can't just assume you got the month of September. Like, you've got one week to get on this bull before he starts smelling cows and gets up and changes everything he's doing. So that's the mindset that I went in. And with that, you know, a lot of boots on the ground stuff. But with, you know, now that Montana can use trail cameras, I mean, I had trail cameras scout, scoured over every piece of water I thought he might go, you know. And never did get a, never got a picture of him, never saw him. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious if his sheds are <laughs> mm-hmm. laying out there this year again or if he's just a mystery bull. I don't know. But it was interesting. I, and I'm definitely going to take that approach every year now mm-hmm. and not wait for it to get good and wait for the bugle, but hunt the bulls where they live mm-hmm. day one. Mm-hmm. It was night and day difference. I like that, you know, because that rut ebbs and flows and you never know quite when it's going to get no. there. And, and like me, you know, I've been trying to, to hunt elk and get them on film and I almost have to pick my week before season gets there that I, you know, that I have a cameraman and I can go for him. So you're just trying to pick the right week. But, you know, the, there's no, you know, 
so it's good every week, the, the 15th to the 20th or the 12th to the 18th, but there's no guarantee they're going to be hard rutting during those days or that you're no. going to hit it right. And so, yeah, I need to get back to my old way where I hunt those elk the entire season from yeah. start to finish. And I, I do love spotting and stalking bulls, and I love moving in front of the herd, and I don't do a lot of calling nowadays. And, and so... You know, the, the rut helps because it makes those bulls more active. It gets them moving. It gets them with the cows. You can locate them. But I think you're right. You have to hunt the entire season. And I, I really think that's interesting that you wanted to hunt that bull before the main rut started. So you kind of knew where these bulls were living. And, and so you wanted to get in there and hunt them just as they're starting in that pre-rut in that area before they move out of that area. Yeah, because I I hadn't seen, well, I hadn't seen a lot of evidence of elk, period, but I definitely had seen even less of cow elk in that area. So my fear was when he starts feeling it, you know, he's got to leave to rut. He doesn't have ladies here to choose from. So if I find this bull, I've got, you know, four days, five days, whatever it's going to be before he gets up and wanders, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it was was really cool. I, I, like I said, I'm going to hunt that way now forever because you can, you can get kind of la- lazy in your mind and think, well, yeah, it didn't work out today, but you know, we're not to September 15th yet. And that's when it's really going to get good. Well, it can get to September 15th. And then you realize that first week was actually the best week. Yes. You know, that was and your best opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's too late. Yeah. So I felt like that whole strategy was just game changer for me and put me off in a good spot right off the bat, and it just continued to snowball, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. I was, I was thinking about that. A lot of those, in, in my experience of hunting in that region, those elk are really nomadic. Yeah. Definitely. Really nomadic. And when I've hunted them, I mean, you can, you can find bulls in there during rifle season that were not even close to being in the same area during archery. And I think that's a whole next level of challenge with how nomadic those elk are, too, is that bull may never be there. And you might find sheds in the wintertime. Well, that's just it. And I mean, very difficult. I know of bulls that lived in this area that have been seen 35 miles away. There you go. During the rut. Yep. Yep. That's a perfect example. You make a really good point, Dan, that you have to capitalize on your opportunities. And when you find those bulls, you don't stalk them recklessly, but you've got to make a play and make something happen because you don't know where they're going to be two days later or a day later. Um, It's tough to sit on a, on a ball of elk or a rut party and you're kind of waiting for your chance. And then all of a sudden they, they take off and they're all gone within a matter of seconds. And that's where elk are different than other species is that they are just so nomadic and move so much country. Yeah. Especially in that environment, like with my experience of hunting the breaks, like specifically with my dad's bull this year that he killed, is we hunted the same spot uh, for five days in a row. And you see different bulls every day. And once you get a little pressure, you know, guys are shooting guns, all of a sudden bulls show up in this north face, in this drainage that, I mean, I know they, they, they come a long ways. And that does not surprise me what you're saying with bulls traveling 35 miles 35 miles is crazy yeah. isn't it when you really think i don't about doubt it, it for yeah. a second in fact i just heard another i was just sitting here thinking i talked to a guy at this show that told me something very similar about the brakes um and that he killed the bull that he said was like yeah it, it was right in the 30 mile range but basically the bull 
he had seen it on the north side of the river and ended up killing it way south like and it was a big distance i mean and it doesn't even make sense like it's all the same country it's all the same feed uh you know, private, public, water, it, it's all the same. Yep. So why, what's making those bulls do that? It's just natural, you know. I guess that's what keeps them from not interbreeding. And But how far do those bulls really go? I mean, look at what we're learning about the mule deer migration yeah. right now. I mean, we didn't know this until the last few years. Like, these deer are moving hundreds of miles over m- a m- months and months of migration, mm-hmm. you know. So what are these elk doing when we're not paying attention? You know, it's not the Yellowstone herd. So there isn't the movement from the park when the when the snow gets deep down across the Gallatin into the Madison to the winter range and back, you know. The the Brakes elk, the Badlands, the Prairie Bulls, they don't do that. Yeah. But but they do, you know, just in their own way. It's like it's, a different animal. It's like a different species of elk. Subspecies. They, yeah, yeah, they act completely different than like mountain elk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. They yeah. are, and, and totally. they're they're difficult too because you guys talk about them moving and from the north side all the way to the south side and down, and all the country looks the same. Like you make a good point. Mountain elk is what I cut my teeth on hunting, and I can go into the mountains and I can look at an elk feature and know that I should see an elk, or if I don't, I need to go look at another feature. But but they're not immersed or spread out all the way through that country where these prairie elk it's all the same so you can't look at a feature and go that's a good elk feature there should be an elk there you've got to just cover country and look at a bunch of those features and a bunch of good vantage points and try to locate them that way yeah and there's nothing that's an elk feature i mean they will lay in the wide ass open or they might find just a little pocket of timber they might i mean they're just those elk are so comfortable in the wide i mean that's where elk yeah. You know, yeah. traditionally prairie have animal. always lived in the prairie. Like they're comfortable out there and they're really good at moving through it. They mm-hmm. make, you know, they make it look easy. They make it look like you can just get on them. But, you know, just like elk in the mountains, they've every little move is thought out. They know what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they adapt and evolve. And even though they came from the, the prairie and the open country, they adapt to the habitat they live in, whether that's the mountains or the prairie. Oh, and they yeah. get good at it. Like They're that's so how hardy. they get old. Yeah. You know, as they get good at, at moving through that terrain and, and, uh, uh, you know, finding cover or, you know, they like to travel the bottoms of those drainages so they don't get seen in some of the high pressure areas. They act different even mm, yet, you know. Totally. So, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. 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 So how did it come together? So you were scouting for this bull that you had got two years worth of sheds. And I think I know the bull you're talking about with a, a giant and he's um, it's like a seven by eight or something or has extras yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. A big bull. And so you didn't end up killing that bull, but the bull you killed was a giant. Did you find that bull in scouting or find a location that he liked? You know, it was funny. So I've never specifically hunted one elk, and I found out that I'm actually really terrible at hunting one elk. (laughs) (laughs) Very difficult, It is very difficult when you you hear activity where you know activity's going, but you know the big boy's not there, so you're just having to put the blinders on and try to stay focused in what you're doing even though you're knowing this is going on like it was it was hard for me and finally like i gave up you know i i couldn't i couldn't even last like a week trying to do that (laughs) (laughs) so uh we just i had been sitting one water hole um and it was literally like in this hole you couldn't you couldn't really hear out you couldn't see out and i was sitting morning to dark just in this hole and uh you know, we were seeing some elk, seeing some deer, but it just wasn't this, you know, we weren't 
really getting the activity we thought we should. And, of course, that big bull wasn't showing up. So I said, like, I need to get out of this hole. So tomorrow, let's actually just sleep in. Let's have a nice breakfast. And let's just get up high on a knob and just sit and listen. And, like, let's just not worry about it. I just want to reorganize what we're doing here. So we slept in from what we had been doing. We were still out as the sun came up, but um, heard this bull bugling. And we're like, he's going pretty hot, you know. So we're like, hmm, we, you know, wind's good. The bull's, I'm not even talking to him. He's just over there ripping. So I'm like, yeah, let's go see what he looks like. So we grab everything, start hiking out there. And... 100% the scenario that I say will never work, like herd bull, 10 cows, 500 yards away, they're going away, he's following them, bugling, and, you know, they're kind of in the open, we're a little more in the cover, and I'm like, there's no way, like, we're, we're done, you know, there's no way this is going to work, but it's really cool lighting, I'll cow call at him, maybe get him to bugle, and then we'll just cut over the ridge the other way and just let them go off to bed, so... Just kind of didn't really think it was ever going to turn anything. Let Sam get ready with the camera, made a few cow calls, and that bull freaking turned around and squared up and just screamed right at us, like directly at us, just screamed. And, I mean, he didn't even hesitate. He just started coming, just left his cows and just, and he'd sit there and, you know, in the whole way, just giving us this show breaking shit coming up through excuse my language but get pretty fired up (laughs) but then he came around the tree at seven yards and at that point like i knew he was a big i didn't like study him out there but i knew he had a big frame and like i said i'm not a good like trophy hunter so when that bull came around the corner and i saw it i didn't even think like oh it's not the one that you've been hunting or you know anything like that it's like you this is the coolest scenario you've ever had happen and yeah just didn't even have to think twice about it you know yeah and uh yeah just lucked out i mean he was just a beautiful nice one of my best bulls ever so right on and died in a in a pond or a lake or something <laughs> yeah. i think i saw that photo yeah. was awesome yeah. it was so awesome really cool yeah. photos i'll no, appreciate that yeah yeah and it actually saved his meat because i ended up hitting that bull a little back and low i thought he was going to run and fall over because he was quartered hard and so i hit him well, not hard, but he was quartered, and I hit him right where I thought I should, just a little low, and he made it way further than we thought. Mm-hmm. So it took us longer to find him, and in the breaks, it can be warm, and you know, early mm-hmm. September. And I think the fact that he died in that water really helped keep that meat cool and okay. kept it good. Yeah, it cooled it down yeah. from the yeah. start, yeah. from the moment he died. Exactly. Yeah, that, we were just talking about that shot. I was telling Dan, that shot that can be a little bit back and a little bit low, they take a long time to die. Those elk do. Even I pinwheeled this bull one time. I, I couldn't have walked up and put the arrow any better, but maybe a third up right behind the shoulder, but it kind of angled back down into him and exited uh, low and down out of him and um so I, I let the bull go over it was almost dark i came back in the next morning and and that bull was still alive now he didn't go far he was hurt i had to put another arrow but i was just amazed that mm-hmm. i've had that happen to me 
two or three times with those shots like that that end up a little bit low, a little bit back, and we're not talking guts or anything. No. We're talking come out on the liver, you know, even went in where the lungs and heart are exactly. right tight to the shoulder. But that shot, for some reason, it takes those animals a while to die, and those those elk are so oh, yeah. tough too, yeah. right? You just got to put, yeah, put a money shot Yeah, I never believe they're going to fall over until I'm standing over them. Me too. I mean, yeah. I can hit them perfect and be like, well, We'll see how this ends up. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's no fist pumps really until the feet are in the air. Yeah, and that thing's dead. Yeah, for That's sure. The truth. Gosh, those they build those bulls tough. You know what they, I yeah. learned too? The same guy that we were talking about hunting the brakes the other day that I thought was interesting. Maybe you guys know this. I didn't know this. Was because I've been hunting a lot over water, you know, to try to kill these big herd bulls. Because I think you can lock into big bulls, you know every so often but i think to continually kill big herd bulls i mean where i hunt i think water's the only way Mm, you know in my opinion and it's worked for me um but one of the guys told me he goes you want to shoot those elk before they get a drink he goes they'll die way quicker i was like really and he goes oh yeah night and day difference and this guy's killed more bulls in the brakes with a bow than anybody i personally know and um he goes, it's night and day difference. When they get their face in that water and start sucking it up, it's just giving them energy back. He goes, think about mm-hmm. it. Like, they're going there for survival. They don't just take a drink of water because, oh, hey, I'm just going to go get a drink of water. They go because their body is saying, you need water. So he goes, you do not let them put their face in there. You stew them as soon as you can, and they will die so much quicker than if you allow them to get their drink and bolster that energy back up then they go way further plus they're fuller you know of water and just uh you know that's it, an that, interesting yeah, that theory. is very interesting yeah, so i the, never thought of the that the bull that i was I just talking either. about yeah. the bull that i was just talking about got a drink before i shot him oh yeah yeah so you wonder what the outcome would have been had you been able to make that same shot before mm-hmm. he got a drink yeah you yeah, sure do yeah but it makes total sense it i does. mean when you hear it you go yeah. absolutely i mean think about You know, if you were to get injured in any sort of way after a long, like, hike where you ran out of water and you are tired and you just want to get to the trailhead and Mm -hmm. you get down and, like, you are so exhausted. Like, that's basically, I think, the state that a lot of those bulls are in in the rut by the time they go put their face in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, versus when you're leaving the trailhead, you know, and you're all fresh and, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You could take a hit way better when you're leaving the trailhead than when you get back and make it a lot further yeah Yeah. exactly yeah that's a good way to put it into perspective so it's interesting i mean when he started saying it it was like the light bulb went off i'm like oh my god that makes total sense Mm -hmm. and i've always like one now granted it's this (laughs) we we want footage we want all this we let them come in and but no i'm not first chance i get i am not letting them put their face in the water i want to see you know if the difference he but he said I mean, like I said, this isn't a guy that's just talking smack. This is a guy who has proven for year after year after year getting it done. So I believe him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I don't doubt it at all. Mm-hmm. You just, Yeah, it's something you never think about, like you're saying. It, I'm going to pay attention to that mm-hmm. next time. I've only killed one bull over water, I think. But but like he said, you know, not just elk, antelope, deer, yeah, anything, anything, yeah. anything that's coming to water. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, is that going to make an episode on the show then? Yeah, that'll probably be the first episode of 2019, okay. which will be first week of July. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where's that so. going to come out at? Uh, Sportsman's, Sportsman's Channel. Sportsman's Channel. Yep. yep. We're usually on Monday nights. I don't know what will be this year, but it has been 730 mm-hmm. Mountain Time. So... You do such a great job with your videography. It just evolved it uh, throughout the years of telling the story and capturing that good footage that goes along with it. And then the editing process. Do you edit all your own videos? I used to up until about, I'd say about four years ago, I started mm-hmm. getting help with some of the TV show, some of the films. I just hit a point where I wanted to maintain that quality and still continue to build my brand, and I had just maxed myself out. Yeah, you know, well, it's so, so good. I wanted to be, I wanted to be better at the conservation films and put more of myself into the conservation films and let you know and separate from the production of the TV show a little more, so I could be better and more focused and and make those films better. So that was my goal, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. What, so, what's your favorite episode coming out this year? I'm sure you got a bunch of good ones as you go on a bunch of adventures, but what would you say is your favorite? Um, it's going to be pretty tough to beat my son's first deer. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because sure. his little brother was there. I, so his little brother's four. He's 10. He did the youth apprenticeship uh, hunter program deal in Montana. My daughter did this year, too. Yeah. So, so fun. Just oh, took her yeah. on an adventure, you know. Got her lost in the swamp after we killed a buck. <laughs> and it was great, you know. <laughs> right. She enjoyed it. But she'll remember that forever. But it's oh, so totally. neat, isn't it, to introduce yeah. that to her kids? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And my dad was there when he got his deer. And, How cool. And, like, my dad's good friend George was there. And so it was the in my world of hunting, I had my entire world right in one spot for the first time ever. You know, I had hunting, I had my boys, I had passing it on, I had my father, I had, it was wow. like this moment of just ev- my entire hunting world in one spot at one time. You know, I didn't, yeah, was, so. And then you captured it, and it's going to make an episode that you can share with everybody. Yeah, which is funny, because I wasn't ever going to film it. I, I wanted it, I wanted to just go with me and my son, and I just wanted it to be for us and, and not worry about the camera and not worry about put any more stress on him or strain or whatever. And it was funny because, like, you create a little monster, you know. <laughs> he, he's like, you're not going to film it? I'm like, well, no, bud. We were just going to go, you know, just go enjoy it and hang out together. He's like, well, isn't it? Isn't it cool enough to be on the show? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll film it. So, and I'm super glad I did. You know, I just struggled as a father. I didn't want, I didn't, yeah. That I just pressure. wanted it to be about him and the deer, yep. you know. Yep. So. Well, that's cool but, right there that he didn't, you know, it's, it's not pressure to him. You know, because right, you yeah. have that pressure to filming and uh, making everything come together. And he's just, no, that's just everyday life. What do you mean, Dad? You're yeah, not that's, filming this? That's how you Are hunt. You nuts? Yeah, exactly. It's how you hunt. That's, so that's all cool. he knows. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, cool. Yeah, it is interesting. I never thought of it that way, but you no, know, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you were able to accomplish everything you wanted with the experience and you captured it on film. So you'll have totally. it forever. Oh, it's totally. A, a and freeze I, frame in time. Exactly. And I, like I said, I'm actually really glad I did because... Like, looking at the footage of, like, my four-year-old and look on his face and, ah, it's just you can't replace it, you know. So that one's going to be tough for me to beat this year, I think. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, 
it'll be my favorite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you captured it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it looked like you, um, you had a good season from start to finish, too. Uh, I love following your social media. But, yeah, I saw you killed a nice buck, too. Yeah, I got a nice mule deer this year, one of my best deer. Um, that buck just kind of showed up out of the middle of nowhere and, and uh, just kept dogging him for five or six days and was able to finally get him. And uh, Five or six days. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Wow. Yeah, so you kept seeing him. Yeah, just kept getting on him. Okay. And actually spooked him once, almost got a shot, and uh, things just didn't work out. And uh, he got out of there, and I thought I had blown it, you know, a big mule deer like that. I'm like, now he knows he's being hunted. He's seen me. Game change, you know. So I actually left for a while. I was like, okay, he's seen me. I'm just going to leave. I actually went to help another friend in another area hunt mule deer, and then, of course, my mind is just, like, so hard to not be there, you know. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back, he was right where I had left him. Oh, you wow. Know, found him right there again. And by then, I had spent about four days hunting him. So I started, you know, kind of had his pattern down then and was able to get him down. So that was that was cool. I mean, it was it was one of those that since I had had luck early this year my plan was to like spend a lot of time looking over a lot of mule deer you know and just be really patient and just find a really good buck and I, i'm not even kidding that was like one of the first deer i saw when i got down there and mm. i still tried to be like really patient like no i mean let's look he's nice yeah. but what else is here and, and every time i kept looking at him and he would just turn his head like a little i would see something else and i'd be like Ooh. There, I I gotta hunt this deer, you know. <laughs> uh, it it it's the way us uh, hunters are wired, isn't it? I go and I'll hike way back into a drainage, and if the first buck I find is a giant, I still say that. Well, I'm gonna see what's here. I'm gonna look around. <laughs> like I can't help it, you know. You just want to see, you know, the, you know, he may be 200 inches, but that 230 could be over <laughs> yeah. the next hill or a huge buck party or whatever it is. <laughs> I think it's just in our nature. But it sounds like you hunted that buck really patiently. Yeah. To, to spend that many days on it. So were yeah, you I was watching him? Patient. Were you watching yeah. him? Was he putting away early and and coming out late where he just wouldn't give you a chance where the conditions the wind yep. was right to move in and so you just kept on the vantage point watching like waiting for the right moment to go all yeah. in on him yeah basically because he was in this giant it was like a huge just bait like very gradual basin like this and right in the middle of it it looks like a it looks like a miniature volcano hmm and it's nothing but sage, not a single tree, big flat. In fact, part of it's got like a prairie dog town, so the, there's like this much grass out there, <laughs> you know. Um, but he would bed on that tip. And, oh, wow. And really? he could literally watch anything for just miles. And he had satellite bucks with him. And so they'd get on that knob and they'd position. You just weren't getting in on them. And I'm rifle hunting, you know, wow. this buck. Wow. And it's so... He looked at a glance like, oh, this is going to be easy. He's just standing there. Well, until I started hunting him, I'm like, no, this, this deer knows what he's doing. It looks easy. It looks wide open. But, man, he's got it figured out. Mm -hmm. And he just found this one little piece of the topography where there was just no way you could get in on him. So even I'd watch him all day long in his bed just sitting there. But you just couldn't get in on him. And trust me, I wanted to bad, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but 
finally what it came down to was just uh, watching them come off that knob and go feed, and, and the wind happened to switch right at, right as the sun hit the skyline like it does, you know. The wind switched, thermals went the other way, and it gave me like the last half hour to come in behind them. Now, I'm literally in the open, flanking right behind them, but I'm just having to be patient and just keep sliding in a little bit, and they're feeding and looking around, and I'm sliding just coming right in behind them in the wide open and i was able to just kind of finally just sort of catch up to them mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but how cool um those bucks they get big for a reason or all animals when they reach maturity especially you know when when they're hunting pressured country and we have seasons for them um you know, there's a reason that they get old. They yeah. they figure out a niche in the country. Exactly. Just like that buck in that butte, that was the way he lived, and probably for his entire life. That yeah. was his security, was being able to see, being able to live on that vantage point and see predators coming. That's why nobody ever killed him. Yeah. That's wild, exactly. man. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. And same thing with sometimes where you find a bull that lives in a hole, or that's where he ruts every year. And I find even during the rut that... That, um, you know, like a lot of our Montana is general rifle season. And so during the rut, those bucks that rut along roadways or where they can be glass from those roadways never reach the five, six, seven years old that you want them. You have to find a buck that has rutting grounds that ruts somewhere where you can't view from a road that you yeah. have to hike into or a spot that you can't glass very well. But, you know, there's a reason they get big. You yeah. Know? And it's because of where they live and, and their instincts and what they figured out about the habitat that they live in, I think. Yeah, totally. They, they're masters at their craft when yeah. they get to be, you know, over that four or five years old. I mean, they start getting real smart. Mm -hmm. You can actually, it's like every deer has an IQ, right? And so a, a lot of deer, you can tell that they're just dumb. Like, some bucks are just dumber than others, and you're like, you're going to get killed. Right. And they do. And I think every, every buck probably has a personality and is a little bit different, and they have an IQ like that. And it's like those bucks that you guys are talking about, it's like it's a whole different animal mm -hmm. of the level of savviness and how smart they are and how they move. And like the biggest buck I've ever killed, same thing. Never seen another deer act like that. And, you know, why? Other than he just maybe has a higher IQ. I don't know how else to explain it. Well, and the yeah. more years that go on, the higher that IQ Absolutely. Gets. The maturity. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. With, with their experience. And, you know, they get hunted or maybe spooked a few times. And, yeah, some are just smarter than others, too. But, man, it, it's crazy. It's, it's another one of those things. Like we were talking with the elk, maybe you'll never really figure out why they do what they do or, or why some bucks are different than others like mm -hmm. that. Yep. Well, and they um, they use those younger bucks. They mentor them, but they use those younger bucks to walk out into the oh, openings totally. first. To, oh, they to, totally to use them. The <laughs> fall guys. Yeah, they're the fall guys. They absolutely. Are the fall guys. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The front line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you can see the dominance, too, when you watch a lot of mule deer. Like, you probably watch those bucks for so many days that you see that, that bigger oh, buck. A he runs order. the yep. show. Yeah, you know, sure. he'll run over, and if there's a younger buck bedding in the bed that he thinks is most gunfurl, all of a sudden he's pawing at him. You know, he's getting him out. <laughs> out of there yep. like hey you know i'm i'm the leader here i'm the dominant <laughs> buck and i'm gonna bed in that really good comfortable bed i totally. see that all the time i do too they're jerks aren't they yeah <laughs> those big bucks yeah they're bullies <laughs> yeah yeah well and i even noticed during the rut too um those bucks um 
you know, they, they're during the rut, and that is the Achilles heel of all deer species and the mule deer, that they, you know, do they get a little dumb? Yeah, well, they're thinking about breeding and breeding only. That's why the species has survived for so long, you know, that they're evolved, that that has to be the more, most important thing. But in that same breath, I find that those big mature deer, they know when it's happening and when it's not. They scent check those does, yep. and they're not going to hang around those does for that entire day waiting for one to come into no. heat. They're going to cut the one that's off in heat, breeder, yeah. and look for another one, you know. Or if they're not in heat, they're going to keep moving on. But they're not going to hang out and babysit no. all those does. That's for the younger bucks. The yep. big bucks, they get there when it's time to run. Yep. And same thing with bulls. bulls I've yeah, seen giant yeah. bulls that will leave the cows and only come down and breed at night and then go up solo in the middle of the rut and go bed by themselves, not with the cows. Totally. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep. Every animal's like that. I bet you get goofy in the rut too, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a very valid point, though. It doesn't matter if you're hunting axis deer or bulls or bucks or antelope. That's the Achilles heel of, of anything, any mature animal, right, mm-hmm. is is the rut. Yep. Estrus, yeah. Yep. That's, that's probably when I'll meet my demise as well. <laughs> 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 at least the cause of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's really fun. It sounds like a, like a really good hunting season. It sounds like you captured some great hunts. Um, you got yeah. your antelope the first day, huh? Yeah, basically the first day that we were out there hunting. I hunted the morning on that water hole I was telling you about. Heard some bugling, didn't saw a spike, I think. And then I was like, well, I know if we go to this water hole, there's been a bunch of antelope hitting it. Like, we can probably make something happen tonight. And it, we did. We went and sat that afternoon, got the antelope down, which was awesome because, cool. you know, it's really close to the same area. I was actually listening to elk bugle from my antelope blind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was nice to get that done. Because even though, like, elk's your priority, when you have other tags, there's always, like, it's kind of like an out, like, well, we could go, and they're not really bugling. Should we just go chase antelope or whatever? Yep, yep. You know, once that's eliminated, you're there, and mm-hmm. you're chasing elk. And then, like I said, I just feel like that success from the start just snowballed and continued to help me be where I needed to be throughout the season. Yeah, it was a great year. I shot a my biggest white tail with a bow in Saskatchewan this year, too, which was a really cool, like, you know, out in the elements kind of hunt, sitting out all day with the in a ground blind with the mr buddy heater and the thermocare back pads and a cup of or a thermos of coffee and i mean like i had wolves howling around the blind up there one day when the whitetails were there and i got to see the whitetails reaction to wolves howling and kind of how they you know just what they do oh you it got their attention i mean they they all went from feeding to all staring that direction and then they just all went away like, they didn't even go the same direction. Just and they didn't even run. They just kind of left the area, mm-hmm. you know? Hmm. Interesting. It yeah. gave me, I was like, man, I cannot imagine being a deer, being out here, it's getting dark, and you hear wolves howl. Like, I, I can't even imagine what that must feel like as a deer. But I got to kind of see it. It was really cool to feel like you're a fly on the wall in that moment. But Jeez. it was a really cool hunt. It was just a... Yeah, it was probably my best year, you know, start to finish. Um, it just from picking sheds to turkeys to, that was just a great year. Nice. You know, I chased one of the biggest bears in Montana I've ever seen, and I only saw him twice. He's a giant. And uh, 
I, I got to believe he's still there. I he's, mean, he's on your hit list for next year. Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, big color face or jet black? It's jet black. Oh, nice. Yeah. I thought it was a big grizzly. Like, it took me a while to. I kept telling myself it had to be a gri like a big, dark colored grizzly because it was just so big, you know, and I've just not seen a black bear this big. And every time I look at him, I'm like, holy shit, look at how big that thing is. And be like that's got to be a grizz and i will analyze it and there's just no way this thing is a grizzly bear and now i've seen him enough that i know he's not a grizzly bear mm. but he's of that size mm -hmm. you know body wise he's just he's by far the biggest bear i've personally ever seen in montana Man, and so that's wild that's a good you know good place to start this spring is try to pick back up on that and hope he's still there so that's another like really elusive animal is are those mega giant bears mm -hmm. especially oh late in yeah Montana. they are There's, so smart and yeah it acts so different and sometimes you, you yeah you only see them once mm -hmm. and if you kill them you kill them if you don't you, might, you probably don't see them again that's my experience anyway in the springtime a lot of times giants they yeah. don't hang around in one spot for very long, it seems like. Yeah, and they don't show themselves day in, day out. Right. No, they're, right. they're random sightings, Nocturnal even if they're living in a drainage. And, yeah. and two, it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier, that IQ. And, and a mature deer or an elk is five, six, seven years old, maybe maybe older, you know, maybe eight, but... But, but they don't live too much longer than that, uh, you know, as a living on, on wild lands, you know. But yep. um, the, those bears, a lot of those big bears are 10, 12, 14 years old, even high teens. And really? so they yeah. get that many more years uh, of knowledge. And then, two, they've got to survive a fall season and a spring season in Montana. So they're being hunted all Never the time, you know. Yeah. yeah, they're doubled up on, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, they get pretty smart pretty quick. You're yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And we all find that pressured animals are maybe not smarter, but uh, their instincts seem to be better than unpressured animals. You know, they're more switched on. They're yep. looking oh, for predators. Totally. You know, yeah. so it's so like the, the whitetails that walk around looking up in the trees. Exactly. You know? oh, that's exactly. Wild. They've been hunted that way too. Well, that's it's why you don't call a lot. Mm -hmm. It's why I don't call a lot. You know. Yep. They have been called to. Mm -hmm. You know, I here's another tactic that. Not to get off base, but I just thought of this. Have you guys ever heard of using the coyote decoys to uh, hunt antelope? By So Montana Decoy taught me this. They were one of my original sponsors, Jerry McPherson. And he taught me, like, um, if you go into an area and there's a good group of antelope in there and you know that you want to hunt there, but there's, like, four water holes, he'll put a coyote decoy at every water hole but the one he's sitting and they 100% come to your water hole, every antelope in the area. Scarecrow. And so I started doing that a couple years ago. And yeah. It's just, I mean, every single antelope comes to you. Even if you don't have an antelope decoy, I hung a, like my black hoodie on a post by one of the water holes. And yeah. Same thing. It's just enough. Like, mm -mm. you know how flighty they are coming into yeah. water. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to come to that. So. You just, yeah, you basically scare chrome on every hole of where you're not and then set up, and they're they're coming to you. That's a great tip. Yeah. I have yeah. never thought about that. But, yeah, yeah, that's a great tactic. Yeah, scare them. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they've got a coyote decoy and set them up there. And I've, 
I, I've heard of guys like uh, sitting fence crossings before with antelope, and then they find all the low spots or all the trails yeah. across the fence, and so they'll stick a rock, you know, right where the trail crossing is or stick oh, something yeah. there, you know, on the trail crossings other than the one they're sitting on to make sure that the antelope funnel through that crossing, sure. you know. Mm-hmm. But same mm-hmm. kind of theory, but yeah. that's really interesting with the coyote decoy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so those water holes, to kind of circle back to those in elk, um, it's really interesting that you believe that's the best way to kill those big bulls. Do you like that because it's so low impact that you're not spooking a lot of elk and you're kind of waiting for them to make a mistake yeah. on those water holes? Yeah, really. I mean, I hate. I mean, we all do. I hate spooking animals. Like, mm. I just, it drives me nuts to spook mm. animals when I'm out there. And so, yeah, I like well, a couple reasons. I mean, filming, you set up on a water hole, you the situation is in your control versus you trying to roll in with to a bull coming in and the camera guy and where are you going to set up and how's he coming and where's the wind and you know it's very like on the fly and if we get it awesome like that's the best but it it can be tough to like have that over the shoulder perfect you know everything we're looking to do where on a water hole you can manipulate that a little more you can put the camera guy where you want him you can get the footage so get the wind right yeah yeah you can control it a little bit more yeah so and it's dependent i mean i'm talking breaks badlands plains country you know you hunt big mount like big mountains with a with a creek that runs the entire drainage i mean that changes the whole game you can't just sit random spot on a creek coyote decoys all the way up (laughs) exactly (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) but yeah you're right you make a good point yeah so it like when you talk about water you definitely have to remember that we're talking the badlands here not the mountains like that is a different you could sit a lot of time on water in the mountains and not get that far in my opinion depending on where it's at absolutely so so what's your approach when you're going to hunt a water hole do you try to find where elk are living or do you look for sign on the water hole or all of the above and decide you're going to sit that water hole and then um, I guess is my first question is how do you go about figuring out where you're going to sit, which water you're going to sit? Yeah, I mean, really just, just uh, well, now because of cameras. Mm-hmm. You can put a camera there. Mm-hmm. And you can know the activity. You can know the size of the bull. You can know all that kind of stuff. So really it was through cameras, through just scouting, mm-hmm. you know, and being like, yeah, this one's the hottest. And it changes all the time. And I, mm-hmm. and I learned so much, too, because I had cameras miles apart and to, to you know our point like i was picking up bulls on one water hole in august that would show up on this water hole in september and the bull that was on that water hole in august is now at this water hole and you know and i'm like there's no rhyme or reason to this and but there's definitely a circle they're definitely using like this circle you know, and I've that's, always believed that that they use a circuit of country, I and their they circuit do. of country may be twenty miles. Yeah, but but they return to those areas and they yep. make a big circuit. That's really interesting. I Jason. fully believe they do. Yeah, I and, bet you and learned. The cameras to, proved it this year, yep. actually. Yep. I yep. bet yeah. you even on into rifle yeah. season, it's the same circuit. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I've talked to a biologist, and those elk they migrate around Fort Peck, and so some years, like say four ten coveted area right coveted rifle tag some years it's not as good as other years because absolutely what you guys are saying they they make a circuit and those elk move around the reservoir they cross the river all the time and they're incredibly nomadic so there's absolutely 
you're right on, and that's coming from a biologist. Well, and it makes sense because you think about what does a rancher have to do with a group of cattle? You know, yep. even if the cattle want to be there, he has to move them. And so that's probably like nature's way of constantly shifting the herd, too, without just overgrazing an area and raping and pillaging it down to nothing. You know, it's it's just got to be their natural way to just sustain the land, keep it healthy, keep the grass, the new coming in here while they're over here eating, and it's always just this flux. Yeah, they're chasing the best feed all the time. Yeah. And once, yeah, as they graze it down or green up with storms coming in, they follow the green, I'm sure, the green up or however it is, and, yeah, it turns them into a nomadic animal. Yeah, for sure. Wild. And I, I, I don't think – I think we're <laughs> – because they're prairie bulls, we can keep up on them. I think trying to figure this out in the mountains, I mean, you yeah. you, you couldn't do it. No, you couldn't no. stay on them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, not at all. But it, I do still think the mountain bulls do the same thing. I do, you too. Know? They move, yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it's wild how Mother Nature has just worked out this system that, that works for, for everything and the habitat and the whole thing. I know. Deal. It's incredible how intricate it is. Yeah. I bet you learned a lot from those trail cameras. It would be... Um, it'd be so beneficial for me to, to gather that information of these different bowls and the different water, hole, water holes they were and what time they, they drank. So you're just trying to compile all, all that information and then make your best bet of where you're going to sit. And yeah, then, depending on wind and yeah, okay. where the herd is and all that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Um, so a lot of times you're trying to locate the herd and then sit the water close to the herd? Yeah, yeah, if you can do that. Okay. Yeah, if you do have elk located, a lot of times I'll just position closest water hole. And, I mean, I've I've had a lot of bulls midday just peel off from the herd, you know, right in the middle of the day. And and the other reason I like that is because, once again, you don't have the cows. I mean, you got one yep. lone bull that comes in, and he's thirsty, and he just wants to get a drink and go back, and he's a really huntable elk right then. Yes, really know? susceptible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what times do you sit water hole? Do you try to sit all day on a water hole, or do you pick mornings and A lot of times I do. Do you? Good for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. That's discipline. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is discipline. <laughs> it is hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Man, you almost lose your mind by the end of the day, especially if you didn't have any come into your hole. But I guess you oh, just yeah. keep thinking positive and keep thinking, well, they haven't come in yet, so they are that's coming. Just I've it. just got to keep Trust the here. process, Brian. Yeah, right? yeah that's exactly. right. Yeah, trust before. the process. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, uh, and it's – it's i've proven to myself now that that process works yeah you know you could if you are willing to sit a good water hole for five days straight you're gonna get a shot yep like but you can't say that about chasing them like you could chase them five days straight and you might get a shot but if you sit water five days straight you're going to get an opportunity Yep. I've got to incorporate that more in my game i always feel like when i find a water hole I don't always feel like I'm into elk or I'll find a water hole but go, ah, I think they've all moved on or there isn't that many in this drainage, so sitting in this water hole is no good. But I, I need to trust the process more and just pay attention to those water holes more and just try to incorporate, like, the more tools in your toolbox, the better hunter oh, you're sure. going to yep. be. And so, gosh, hearing that from you, I, I need to find a few more of these water holes and commit to them. Not go walk around and spook all the elk in that drainage, right. but go in there with this. Precise. Just yeah. 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 In, out. Low impact. low impact. Don't yeah. let them know I'm there. Exactly. Creep into that water hole. Believe in it and at least sit it for 
I don't know if I can do five days in a row just starting out, but at least <laughs> incorporate a couple days of sitting water holes, right. maybe getting lucky. And, and you're right, you almost have to prove it to yourself like you've done. You believe in the process now, so you yep. will sit there five days. Yep. I almost need to prove it to myself and see a few elk come in and, and have it work out and go, okay, yeah, this is working. Like, yeah, I, I well, need to do more of this. I'll tell you my best day um, I had from – about 2.30 in the afternoon till dark, I had 16 different bulls come into the same water hole. Wow. Oh, man. So wow. That's action. When does that ever happen on foot? No. Or when, yeah. And I'm talking, they're right there. You know, not I saw 16 different bulls. They came in and drank. And it was just the perfect storm. Yep. You know, I just happened to hit a ball elk by a water hole, a lot of satellites. Do you use a ground blind? Um, if I can, a lot of times I'll just cut one in, cut one in, you dig it in or cut it in the grass or into a bush or a tree. Yeah. Like try to find a juniper or something and take my saw in there and just kind of build my own ground blind. I try to be as low impact as possible if I can. Like I don't want this elk that's always been watering on this hole to come in and go, whoa, okay, I'm thirsty, but I am not that thirsty. Mm. You know, I'm going to just go this way now. Mm-hmm. And they will do that too. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't want to scare crow yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Right>? exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. Yeah. Um, well, so interesting, Jason. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time and being on. I always oh, I enjoy our conversations. It. I learned a lot from this conversation. Yeah, me too. I know our audience is going to like it. So thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Always a good time. Yep. We'll keep in touch and talk soon. Thanks again, Dan. Absolutely. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thank you. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Um, what an episode, man. I had fun in that one. Um, like you say, just getting three knowledgeable guys together and starting to talk strategy and thought process and, and, uh, Jason Matzinger, he's just a killer. Um, he always has been, he just turns up trophy critters and then he's able to get it done both with, you know, with bow and rifle. But, um, yeah, I just love talking to that guy and, and, uh, of course, you could hear the low rumble in the background that was the ATA show. So we did this one live in the in the Yeti booth. And thanks to those guys for letting us use their booth space there. But uh, yeah, just a great podcast. Really enjoyed it. So thanks to Jason for taking the time. Yeah, hopefully that low rumble didn't take away from the conversation. I don't think it did. I listened back to it and it didn't bother me at all. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, great episode, great recording. Thanks to uh, Dan Picard, too. He really helped me out during the ATA, kind of traveled around with me and sat in on a bunch of these podcasts. And I think um, he just adds to the conversation. Another knowledgeable guy on a mic, you know, he, he, he just adds to it. Uh, he, he's got a different perspective at times, which is really good, uh, but really knowledgeable. I really respect his opinion. I just thank him a bunch for taking the time and, and uh, traveling around with me and help making these podcasts better. Um, yeah, with that, uh, again, our, our sponsor for today's show was uh, Onyx Maps. They've just changed the way I've hunt. Just what a great program to have on my phone, on my computer. It's uh, it just has made me into a scouting machine and and uh, really made it so I can adapt and evolve on the hunt. You know, so I can look at new country or find new roads or find my way into a spot. You know, while I'm there. So just uh, what a great program. If you if you're not part of it, um, yeah, make sure to try it out. And uh, I think you can try it out for a for a free trial as well. Um, and, and, uh, but yeah, what a great program. Just amazing. So, um, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast and, um, 
yeah, with that, we'll uh, we'll get off to the Sportsman's Expo. Uh, make sure to check out that that live seminar again. Uh, Dan Bacar and Guy Eastman are given, and then also we'll have it on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, I believe. Uh, so tune in. I'm not sure on the times, but uh, Friday and Saturday, and I'm sure the times will be announced uh, through social media. And with that, we'll get over to the show, and um, yeah, it ought to be fun. Get together with these guys and and uh, talk some hunting and and um, lay down and hopefully grab a couple more recordings and and um, yeah, it should be a good time. Having fun with it. Um, yeah, got that bow shooting so good. Just so happy with that, those things right now. Um, built some new arrows and stiffened up the spine a little bit and um, did a uh, ran through them, tried some different lengths and just some group tuning and seeing seeing what I could could get to work and uh, just found a, a really forgiving arrow with a really forgiving rip all the way through you know like a, a good position on my rest where it's like you can you can almost torque that thing and still get a bullet hole like it's just coming out of there just so straight so forgiving and um God, those arrows are just flying so good yeah so just super pumped on that it's nice that i kind of changed this hunting where i'm almost year round you know looking forward to hawaii and this year new zealand which is just going to be amazing um you know i had that coos trip in january and so you know i just uh uh no breaks or anything just working with my bow year round it really improves you know my shooting and accuracy and but yeah, that's been fun kind of playing around with that. I like having a, some extra hours in the wintertime where I can kind of mess with that thing and, and uh, get the most forgiving tune I can. But um, yeah, better get out on my run, let you guys get on with your week. I just had a really fun recording with Jason, a bunch of good information in that one. And um, so we have, we'll get to the expo. I hope to see you guys there, and um, we'll talk to we'll check in with you next week. <laughs>